Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. This week, our cinemas are still clogged up with various blockbusters, though this year's season has been less overpowering than previous ones. Certainly the latest, Tom Cruise's stunt-filled epic Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, is that rare thing, a hit with both audiences and the critics. And the Little Mermaid remake is sticking around a triumph of sentiment and nostalgia rather than any great enthusiasm for the film itself, perhaps. As for the rest, they've been a bit of a mixed bag, though the best is possibly still to come. This week's one-two punch, Oppenheimer and Barbie. Older audiences may have ensured some success for Harrison Ford's swan song as Indiana Jones, but not enough to make much of a dent in a budget estimated at half a billion US dollars. So that's going to count as a flop for the Disney Studios. I'm retiring. Well, in that case, what are we drinking? Same for the goddaughter. Dad told me you found something on a train during the war. At least the Disney bean counters can look with some satisfaction at the profits from the entertaining Guardians of the Galaxy. But that success, based almost entirely on the fact that writer-director James Gunn knows what he's doing, was bittersweet for Disney. Gunn's left the mouse factory to take over rivals DC Comics, who are clearly hoping he can revive their flagging fortunes. If you were to go into the past... You have no idea what the consequences can be. Bruce, I could fix things. You could also destroy everything. The Flash was the latest DC flop, once again scuppered by a confusing storyline and an unappealing star. Still, if anyone can fix that, it's James Gunn, who's got a remarkably deft touch when it comes to casting. And that's critical in big films, not just filling the screen with famous names, but giving them something appealing to do. Whoever it was that you were in love with, it sounds more like her. Her? Do not bring me into this. (gasps) Knock it off! What? Compare the latest Mission Impossible with another star-studded extravaganza, Fast X from the Fast and Furious franchise. Fast X was like an action hero's hall of fame. Vin Diesel, Jason Statham, Dwayne Johnson and Charlize Theron. How much time do we have? About four minutes. It'll have to do. Not to mention appearances by Oscar winners Dame Helen Mirren, Brie Larson, Rita Moreno, and I don't know who else. But all that star power was eclipsed by rather too much Jason Momoa, even if it was hardly his fault he was settled with a remarkably stupid script. Dami, I knew you would come for me. I'm Dante. Enchanté. So how about we all just start shooting each other? That's what I came here for. Time to end this. 
But that left everyone who wasn't Jason or star Vin Diesel with nothing much to do apart from waving at the fans from the side of the screen occasionally. At least Tom Cruise made sure his starry support actors, Vanessa Kirby, Hayley Atwell, Rebecca Ferguson and the rest, each had at least one scene to shine in. People are chasing us. Yes, they are. You're driving. Curiously, the biggest hit of the year had very little to do with stars or even story. It arrived with a minimum of hoopla at the start of the season and ended up conquering the world, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Bowser is coming. Together, we are going to stop that monster. How? Look at us. We're adorable. There were some big names in the voice cast, notably Chris Pratt and Jack Black, but stars weren't the point. The Super Marios were cashing in on one of the early video game sensations. And childhood toys have proved a boon at the box office recently. I've set my laser to kill. You're a toy! Use your karate chop action! Stop that! What's going on down there? Come in, Star Command. Send reinforcements. You are a toy! There have been hit movies about Transformers, about G.I. Joe action figures, even Lego. Ironically, since usually the appeal of toys is making up your own stories with them. Right now, the biggest hype of the year is over one of the most famous toys there is. The excitement over Greta Gerwig's Barbie among people who normally have no interest in blockbusters of any stripe is frankly astonishing. Hey, Barbie. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. But of course, people don't always go to films because they're challenging or improving or even objectively any good. Kid, you must have me confused with David Selznick. I don't make major motion pictures. I make crap. Yes, but if you take that crap and put a star in it, then you've got something. Yeah, crap with a star. No, something better. Something impressive. That old cliche, I just want to be entertained, gets trotted out a lot in the blockbuster season, and the allure is as much daring stunts, car chases and things blowing up as it is Aristotelian dramatic unity and character arcs. One, two, three, spot! Some of it's stage lighting, some of it's magic show stuff, but the big studios, none of them have anything like it. Do never, ever turn one above six. But it's interesting that the blockbusting dinosaurs aren't having the cinemas to themselves at the moment. People don't live by spectacle alone, it seems. They're just as keen on medium to small-sized comedies, which are also lingering on the local screens. Joyride, No Hard Feelings, Red, White and Brass and The Bank of Dave. This isn't going to amount to anything. Come on, we're lawyers. We're on the side of whoever's paying us. He's a lawyer and he's from London, but don't hold that against him. You would like to open a bank? The Bank of Dave. It's catchy, very catchy. And this week, the only movies out were just such unambitious comedies, mostly topping the charts in their respective streaming services. And making up the numbers is another minor outing, I thought, from the recent French film festival. But in fact, a good doctor proved to be the surprise winner this week, for reasons I'll attempt to get to the bottom of later in the show. 
But first, two brash American comedies from Netflix, The Outlaws, and first from Prime Video, Robots. Ten years ago, we created the robots who now do the tasks Americans once did. Thomas Newton was sentenced to 28 years after he had an illegal robot double of himself. You hear that, robot? Yes, Charles. We need to be more careful. The provenance of robots is a little unclear. It's an adaptation of an old American short story by two writers, one from Denmark, one from Britain. It may have been greenlit because of the building paranoia about artificial intelligence. Goodness knows this is hardly a new idea, machines taking over once they realise they don't need us. Remember HAL in 1968's 2001, A Space Odyssey. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. But these robots take labour-saving to a whole new level. Since Charles is terminally lazy, he has a robot replacement to do all the tedious tasks of his life, whether it's the routine work at the office or the boring early dates with various women before he actually has sex with them though he does do the initial meet-cute in person, often at the local skating rink. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't looking where I was going. Are you OK? Yeah, Are fine. Okay? Thanks, bye. It's my fault. Let me help you up. I'm Elaine. In other words, Charles is that stock male character in American movie comedies over the years, the womanising jerk who needs a wake-up call but in the end comes right. For some reason, he's often played by a Brit actor. In this case, up-and-coming comedian Jack Whitehall, here being horrible to his robot double C2. Also Jack Whitehall. This new girl is different level. Well, I'm glad you've met a nice young lady. I need you completely focused on getting her horizontal for me. Put yourself on deprogram now, C2. Charles calls in C2 to take Elaine out to talk to her and give her flowers, all those tedious chores one does before, as he so tastefully puts it, getting horizontal. The shock switcheroo is that Elaine is equally shallow and has her own robot double, E2, to do the actual getting horizontal bit after Elaine has been squired by Charles to all those expensive shops. Charles guy really wants to bang me, so he'll have to take over tomorrow, too. Yes, Elaine? I just don't want the night to end. I feel the same way. C2, where are you? E2, pick up your phone. In other words, Elaine's that stock female character in American movie comedies, the cynical gold digger taking wealthy idiots like Charles for a ride. In this case, she's played by actress Shailene Woodley, best known for looking a bit like Jennifer Lawrence, but until now not particularly known for her comedy chops. They've completely stolen our lives. That's cringe. Oh, so cheesy. We need to set a trap. We need to Holy shit. So, crass womanizer meets hard-boiled gold digger, a comedy set up as old as time, but with added robot doubles. But due to a mix-up over appointments, the two robots end up together on, to spare your blushes, date night. There's instant electricity, in this case literally. C2 and E2 fall in love and decide to run away together. I've never done this before. One, two, three! 
Elaine also has a robot double. You were dating a robot all along. You two and I are running away together. Don't try to stop us. What? Goodbye, Elaine. Goodbye, Charles. Let's just talk about this. Don't do it. Childish. Our unappealing leads, Charles and Elaine, the real Charles and Elaine, that is, are horrified, partly because owning such robots is illegal and if they're caught, they could end up in jail or something. This bit doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They decide to chase after them anyway, though for this, the increasingly desperate writers decide to bring in extra characters, like Zack, the robot manufacturer. Whoever made them, they need to help us. We're not in the clear, but I managed to locate them. But we have to find them and destroy them. I beg your pardon? Wait. I need to pee and throw up. Possibly kill myself. Where's your bathroom? You can see that Jack Whitehall, by my assessment, the one actual professional comedian on the screen, decided to do what he can to help robots by deviating as much as possible from the script. But since much of robots is trick camera work involving various Charles's and Elaine's, his options are limited. She's strong. Use the safe word. Kanye! Jesus! They're not going to be obedient anymore. They're humanizing. We're going to jail, Elaine. Hey, Charles. Pass me around like a joint. Robots was cobbled together by a Danish TV comedian called Kasper Christensen and Borat's English co-writer Anthony Hines, possibly on different continents. Their sketch comedy background may explain the episodic storyline as well as the lack of interest in any likeable characters. Your disgusting joyride is over. Hey, I get to shoot me. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Well, fine, then I'm shooting you. That's not fair. Robots is almost entirely based on a string of jokes on a theme. Quick, I need 57 jokes about robots by tomorrow morning, rather than a story resting on some actual people. I understand that currently Hollywood writers are nervous that AI could take over their jobs. On the evidence of robots, they're right to be nervous. It's currently tucked away on Prime Video, which is, frankly, where it belongs. Don't say anything, okay? okay? Let me do the talking. Okay. okay. You know why I stopped you? Mass murder. Charles. Over on Netflix, among the top ten streaming movies in New Zealand, apparently, just above Woody Woodpecker, The Outlaws is another formulaic American comedy resting on two ideas. First, there's the old meet-the-parents plot, where our hero doesn't get on with the prospective in-laws. And second, there are the comedy stylings of one Adam Devine. My parents just emailed that they're coming to our wedding. Oh, I get to meet your parents finally! Are you psyched? You're not psyched. Are you psyched at all? Is there any psyched happening? Sitting on top of the world, I'm up. You haven't met this woman's parents yet? They've been off the grid the whole time we've been together. You may remember Adam Devine as the annoying character in the Pitch Perfect movies. OK, that doesn't narrow it down, I realise, but he's the particularly annoying character in the Pitch Perfect movies. In The Outlaws, he plays Owen, a bank manager. He's engaged to Parker, who doesn't seem to have a job. Baby, what's up? Hey! Billy and Lily McDermott. Meet my parents. Pleasure to meet you, Neil. You're very attractive. Well, thank you. That's not a compliment. For me, it's too much. They meet Parker's mysterious parents who've been away for years, we're told, doing good works in the Amazon basin. Anyway, Billy and Lily are back. 
Piers Brosnan sporting an unlikely Frank Zappa beard and moustache and an even less likely Scottish accent. And Ellen Barkin wearing a pained expression that gets worse as the film continues. You deserve something better than that pasty little goober. Dad, just give him a chance. Well, what does a bank manager do? I manage all the security. It's the best. Much of the pain comes courtesy of Owen, the bank manager, who turns out to have equally painful parents. Richard Kind and Julie Haggerty clearly think slightly desperate ad-libbing may help, but of course, they've seen the script. Anyway, the plot lumbers apace. Did I mention Owen was a bank manager? Let's just pray we have a nice, chill day. This is a robbery! I think your parents robbed my bank. You can't be serious. OMG, his bank is robbed by two people, one male, one female, heavily masked and voice modified. And even hiding under a desk, Owen can't help thinking they seem oddly familiar. Surely not. Surely there's no chance his soon-to-be in-laws are in fact outlaws, as in the title of this one-joke high-concept movie. They knew the voice activation code to get in the vault, which I'm pretty sure I told your mum about when I was wasted. She left me roses by the stairs. Thank you for your cooperation, Owen. Thanks, we get it. Enter a helpful policeman who explains that these bank robbers are none other than the famous ghost bandits. Though, since the bandits have, spoiler alert, been hiding out in the Amazon basin for several years, I can't see how they've managed to sustain that notoriety for so long. Does the name the Ghost Bandits mean anything to you? Most notorious bank robbers in American history. No matter, having established that the in-laws and the ghost bandits are two and the same, the plot gains an extra twist. She's a former colleague of the bandits called Rehan. We know she's the actual baddie because she amusingly kills people, unlike Billy and Lily, who mostly just rob their banks and swear a lot. Your parents stole five million dollars from me. I don't understand. Was Owen right? This is a story about Billy Joe and Bobby Sue. The villainous Rayhan kidnaps Parker the fiancé. This provides an excuse for Owen the bank manager and Billy and Lily the bank robbers to combine forces and rob another bank for the hostage money. It also gets Parker out of the way, who's the least funny character in the film so far. You need five million in two days. Wouldn't hurt to have a bank manager on the team. You think you can rob a bank? If it's to save Parker, hell yeah. As you can see, this is saying something. So now we step up a few gears. There are wacky bank robberies. There are wacky car chases. There are wacky fight scenes as well as, unnecessarily, I thought, several wacky murders of non-speaking extras. Oh, and there's one James Bond joke, possibly slipped in by Ellen Barkin and Pierce Brosnan when director Tyler Spindle wasn't looking. Do I look cool? Yeah, you look like James Bond. Which one? Five. Well, that was a good one. It may or may not surprise you to learn that The Outlaws was produced by Adam Sandler, no less. And it's an indication of how little fun I was having that halfway through I found myself wondering whether it might have been marginally better if Sandler himself had been in it. Just think of how many terrible decisions we have to make to get to this moment in time.
I'm not sure anyone would have helped, frankly. The Outlaws is one of those Netflix films that looks good on the page going in. I assume that explains its chart-topping status for a couple of weeks. Algorithms only measure whether you watched it. They don't measure what you actually thought of it. Well, that's your job, I'm afraid. <laughs> Who even am I right now? Arr, arr. One big happy family. There's an old theatrical quote from the deathbed of a famous actor. Dying is easy, he's meant to have said. Comedy is hard. And after all too many films that back that up, I found myself popping into another French film festival title, not expecting more than a harmless bit of Gallic fun. The English title was A Good Doctor, though in France it's simply called Doctor. Doctor? Mm. Oui, quoi? Well, it was certainly fun, but it was rather better than that. It's one of the most expertly put together pieces of work I've seen for donkey's years, though looking back, I shouldn't have been surprised. Just look at all the elements comedy or farce, a doctor, a courier, a substitute, all French words. C'est ouf ce truc, hein? Non, t'as vraiment l'air qui pense dans les poumons. It opens on ageing, disgruntled emergency doctor Serge. He's the only on-call doctor on the night before Christmas. He hates Christmas anyway, and he takes it out on another all-night worker, Malek, a bicycle courier delivering meals to partygoers. Malek is as cheerful as Serge is Scrooge-like, until disaster strikes. Vous habitez ici Ah, j'aimerais bien, mais... Je sais que Noël, c'est dur pour toi, mais un jour, j'arrêterai de te couvrir. T'inquiète, je gère. Serge accidentally runs into Malek's bicycle. Now, this is bad for both of them. Malek can't deliver anything without transport, and Serge has thrown his back out. He can barely move, let alone climb the many stairs to his various patients. He tries to call in sick, but there are no available replacement doctors. So, there's only one thing for it. Je peux pas bosser ce soir. Faut que je dise comment. T'es tout seul. Bien l'esprit de Noël, hein. Y a personne pour vous remplacer. Serge offers to give Malek the use of his car. In exchange, he does the legwork for Serge's house calls. It'll be easy, he assures Malek. Stay on the line. I'll walk you through the medical stuff by phone. What, as they say, could possibly go wrong? Vous êtes sûr qu'il y a aucun histoire? Fais ce que je te dis et tout se passera très bien. Well, what goes right is an old-fashioned, brilliantly constructed French farce, the sort of thing that old masters like Molière, Fado and Jacques Tati have been doing for years. It all starts with the writing. A good doctor is as tight and mathematically contrived as most American examples are approximate and rather too dependent on inspired ad-libs. Initially, Malek is very tentative, understandably, particularly when confronted with his first patient, a large gentleman requiring rather more hands-on treatment than he was expecting. And some of his other patients are puzzled that he seems to keep conferring with his inside pocket.
but under the instructions of his medical puppet master, so to speak, Malik becomes more confident, at least confident in his bedside manner. He continues to find it difficult remembering his name, Dr Serge Mamoumani, or precisely how to work the digital thermometer. Bonsoir, c'est le docteur Nanou Nani Nani. Mamou Mani, bordel. Bonsoir, docteur. Il y avait 38,2 il y a une heure. On va la reprendre quand même. On va la reprendre quand même. Bois les mains. 32 degrés. Recommence en essayant de viser le front, s'il te plaît. Well, the secret about French farce is in the characters. Everything happens for a reason, and everyone has their reasons for doing it. We discover why Serge hates Christmas so much, and why he's so short with his daughter-in-law, Rose. We find out why Malik was on a bike in the first place, and how his plans for the future changed that night. Things go wrong, things go right, and the performances by expert farceurs like Michel Blanc as the real doctor and Hakim Jamili as the fake one are perfectly judged, light as a feather, and supremely human. Bonsoir, docteur. Bonsoir, docteur. It's funnier because nobody plays it as a comedy. It's played absolutely straight, and the proof of the pudding was in the laughter. A good doctor was laugh-out-loud funny all the way through, and the only concern was that such a perfect setup might stumble before the end. Oula, qu'est-ce qui se passe? Docteur, qu'est-ce qui m'arrive? vous venez de vous en fait, là. Mais pas du tout. Alors, docteur, vous voyez quelque chose Docteur Not at all. We were in the safest of hands. A first-time writer-director called Tristan Segela. I'd never heard of him either, but on the strength of A Good Doctor, I look forward to his next film. Yes, comedy is hard, but when you get it right, it's... Well, there isn't an English phrase for joie de vivre, is there? And on that happy ending, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week.